Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, good morning, everyone. We welcome you. I'm glad you're here. The title for our message this morning is Set Free. And our text is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Now, you may have seen a few days ago, Tiger Woods, golfer, professional, was involved in a car accident in California. His car ended up tipping over on the driver's side, and he was unable to get out of his vehicle. He was trapped. And emergency responders had to come and used tools and equipment to release him from his vehicle in order to set him free. If we go back in history a little bit, 2010, a book was released by Laura Hillenbrand titled Unbroken, all about the life of Louis Zamperini. There was a movie came out a few years after that in 2014. Perhaps you know of Louis Zamperini. He was an American Olympic track runner in the 1930s and ended up serving in World War II as an Air Force pilot. His plane was shot down over the course of war and he was left at sea for 47 days and ended up being taken prisoner by Japanese forces and taken to a prison camp. And it was not until the war's end, when American forces came and liberated that camp, that he was set free. If we go back a little bit further in history, we can think of the man Saul of Tarsus. Before he became known as the Apostle Paul, he was brought up in the religious foundations and traditions of Judaism, the law, the Old Testament. And yet, Paul, before he was Paul, Saul was a slave to the law and its legal demands. And it was not until God appeared to him on the road to Damascus, blinded him, taking him off his horse, revealing Christ to him that he was set free and able to live on mission for God's glory. This is the same Paul that would then write this letter to the Romans. He loved God. He loves the church. So he writes a letter. He writes to them, and as his third missionary journey is coming to an end, he gets his pen and he prepares to write. He reaches out to this church. His missionary journey has ended in Asia Minor. He has fulfilled the work of the gospel in all of these regions, and now he's wondering, what what is next for me? So he sets his sights. He believes the gospel needs to get to Spain. It hasn't been there yet, so he makes a plan. So from Asia Minor to Spain, here sits Rome, central, right in the middle. And so Paul reaches out to them, hoping that they will support him and helping him get to Spain. So he pens this letter and writes to them about the most important thing imaginable. He writes to them about the gospel. He hopes not only that the the church in Rome will support him, but he also is writing to them because the gospel is there to meet their needs. See, Paul would have been aware a few years previously before writing this letter that the Roman Emperor Claudius 
had exiled all the Jews out of Rome. But later, some, by the time Paul's writing this, they would have been able to return. So knowing that these first Christians, having been converted, these Jews being converted on the day of Pentecost, and then persecution comes and they're scattered, this church planted in Rome. Listen to what Douglas Moo comments on just this, the uniqueness of the situation that the church in Rome would face. This is what he writes. By the time Paul writes this letter, Jews were allowed back into Rome, but they came back to a church dominated by Gentiles. One can imagine the kind of social tension that such a situation would create. See, Jews who stand in the heritage from which Christianity has sprung and who were at one time the leaders of the community now find themselves in the minority. So to Paul, in working through the gospel, addresses some things that he knows the church is going to have to deal with. He writes them about sin and righteousness. He writes them about God's wrath and God's grace. He writes them about Israel and the law and how does this work out in the new covenant community of the church. He writes them about the Holy Spirit. And we've seen in our bumper video, Sophie made that and did an awesome job that it can all be summed up in one word. Paul writes to them about Jesus. And so all this coming together I, and preparing for this, I would love to take the whole book of Romans and we could just let maybe Romans 1, 1, let's just go through the whole thing. I would love to do that. But uh, instead, we're just going to focus on chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So if you're there in your Bibles, let's uh, turn and read this together. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As we prepare, let's just pray together, and then we will examine this text. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Above all things, I thank you for Christ and him crucified, and that you have revealed yourself to us through your spirit and through your word, that we can know you and we can know Christ. And so, Lord, I pray as this text is open this morning that the spirit would be at free to work in hearts illuminating the truth of your word, that we would rightly see Christ this morning, that we would be filled with joy inexpressible and full of hope, that you would set us free from our sin and set us free to live for your glory and for the good of all peoples. Lord, I pray that you would help me, and then I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. I love you, and I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so our big idea this morning. Where are we headed? What, what is the roadmap for our message today? Here's the big idea. 
freedom to truly live, really live, is found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only place to find true life. And so, in order to unpack this message and this idea, how this will work out today, I have three questions. Three questions that, by God's grace, will lead us to real freedom in Christ. So first, what is, our first question is this then. What is our problem? Question one, what is our problem? And I would submit to you today that according to God's word, our greatest problem is sin. Our sin problem. Maybe you caught it in Romans 8, 1. Paul says, there is, therefore. So we have to go back a little bit to see how Paul has been laying this out for us. See, all the way back in Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned against God. God commanded them, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. And temptation came through the serpent and Adam and Eve. They knew the commandment, but they disobeyed it. And because of Adam's sin now, each and every one of us rebel against God. Paul would say in Romans 1 that all of us, we worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. And so the law of God is given then to show us just how serious our sin problem is. Think about some of the Ten Commandments. Commandment 1, you shall put God first in everything. Commandment 2, you shall not bow down or worship idols. Commandment 3, you shall have no blasphemy. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Commandment 8, no stealing. Commandment 9, no lying. And we, as we've been going through Pastor Brian and his series in the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus has been expanding the law, showing that it's not just merely the external. It gets all the way down to our hearts. That the law shows us just how serious our sin problem is. So just based on this alone, who, who could keep God's law perfectly? Not me. Not you. No one. Out of pure who can worship God purely, devotionally, perfectly with no sin? Answer, no one. And because of this, we all deserve punishment. We are all guilty before God, and we all deserve punishment. So as Paul works through in Romans 5, just quickly to see, I want to paint this picture of just the, how serious this is. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So you and I are in line of because of Adam's sin, I bear the consequence of that, and that's really because I sin too. And in a snapshot way, just to go quickly through Romans 5, I want you to get the impact of this. Romans 5, 16. For the judgment following one trespass, that's Adam's trespass, brought condemnation. Verse 17. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. 
If you had to boil down all of what, what Paul has laid out in this section in Romans 5, we could say it this way. Rebellion brings condemnation. Rebellion brings condemnation. So what do we mean by condemnation? It's a good question. Condemnation is a verdict of guilt. A legal declaration has a criminal legal sense about it and often was understood to come with punishment. Now, I, want to, I want you to see an example of this. Let's go together in our Bibles to Mark chapter 14. You can keep your place in Romans. We'll be there. We'll be coming back this way in a minute. But in Mark 14, there's an example of this, this condemnation that we're talking about. You see, in Mark 14, we come into this setting where the high priests and the elders, the scribes, have put Jesus on trial. Mark 14, look at verse 61 with me. Mark 14, 61. But he, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is who he said he is. No question about it. Listen to the high priest. Here's their response. And the high priest, he tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all Look, look here now in verse 64. They all condemned him as deserving death. Now, if that was me on trial, if that was you, if that was them, if that was anyone else on the planet, they would be right. But not with Jesus. They got it completely wrong. Jesus did not deserve death. He was not blaspheming. He is who he says he is, the Son of God. So this condemnation, this is what we're talking about, a serious legal declaration of guilt and penalty and death is coming with it. So back to Romans. All it took was Adam's sin to bring condemnation on all people. And I'm right there with him. And so are each one of us. If we are in Adam, if we are only in the flesh, then the, the statement stands we are guilty. We are guilty and like... What Paul lays out in chapter 6 of Romans, we are slaves to sin, and sin produces death. So let's bring a little air into the room here. Let's, let's turn the lights on a little bit, because if, we, if this was the end of the message, there'd be no hope, no life, certainly not any freedom. So in light of all of this, we have good news, and that is unless God intervenes, there is no hope or chance of release. And this is paving the way for us to see our second question. Our second question is then, what is God's solution? What is God's solution to our sin problem? And I believe, and the scriptures are clear, that God's solution to our sin problem is the gospel. See, in light of everything that Paul has laid out, sin and death and condemnation, he can then say triumphantly, 
Did you feel that in Romans 8.1? There is no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no death penalty for those who are in Christ today. All can be forgiven. Amazing, life-transforming forgiveness. This is the love of God. The law with its legal demands can be set aside. And Acts chapter 13 is another good example of this. You can turn there if you want to, Acts 13. This is another good illustration for us to see. What what does Paul have in mind here? Acts 13, this is the same message, just in a different context. Acts 13, verse 38. I want you to see this. Acts 13. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes. Do you hear the call of the gospel here? Everyone who believes in Jesus, look at, look at what happens. They are freed from everything. From, they are freed from everything from that which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. There's only one name by which we can be set free, and it is the name of Jesus. So, what does this mean for us? Everyone who is united to Christ by faith, all of their sin, all of my sin, all my rebellion, all my dishonoring of God, all my false worship, all of my sin, misplaced, all of it, can be gone, taken away, and forgiven once and for all. The debt of my guilt can be paid in Jesus. So how does this work for us? Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 17 for the believers there that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so this is how the gospel applies to us. This is how this freedom, this no condemnation, can be applied to you and me. It's by faith. By faith, you look to Christ, turning from your sin. So this new life Christ can secure for us is by the free gift. It's not by anything that you or I can do. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by doing more right things. It's simply a gift to be received by faith. And that's the invitation of the gospel this morning. You can be set free. And so, how does this new life work for us? God gives the Holy Spirit. All of this condom, all of this, this freedom that is in Christ is applied to us through the Holy Spirit. That is given. The Holy Spirit is the one that sets us free. He is the Holy Spirit who transforms us from the inside out, which is why Jesus said you must be born again by the Spirit. These are things that each one of us have to work through. See, I'm thankful for my family, my mom and dad, that they, from a young age, young age trained me up in a way that knows I ought to take God's word seriously. It is what it is. God's word is clear and self-authenticating. It is truly God's word. And not only that, my parents trained up in me from an early age. Go to church. Be with God's people. That's the best place to be. And yet, I had to work through this too. I had to wrestle with the reality of my own sin. How will I be freed from my sin? Is it more things that I have to do? And I remember talking with leaders at the church and asking for help and how do I get free from my sin secret sin that has no nothing good comes from sin 
Do I have to just try harder? No. None of it helped. Felt powerless. All I could do was just keep on sinning. That's all I knew to do. Until. 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 The good news of the gospel. God changed me. And I had to look to Christ. Wasn't anything I could do for myself. Jesus had to be the one to change me. The Spirit, when Paul says in Romans 8.2, it is the law of the Spirit of life that has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, the, the gospel has always been God's plan. This was plan A from beginning, Genesis, all the way through Revelation. This has been God's plan. And so when Paul brings us up, the law of, when he mentions this, Paul has two things in mind. First, Paul has in mind that the power of God, the life-changing power of God, is given to us through the Holy Spirit. And that this greater life, this greater law given by the Spirit, triumphs, carries over, totally obliterates the power of sin and death in us. It's a greater power. It's a greater way to live. And secondly, Paul has in mind that this better way to live is really God's way, doing things God's way. It's the best place to live. So I want you to see two Old Testament examples and illustrations of this, that this has always been God's plan, to set us free from our sin, to live forever. First place I want you to go to is Jeremiah 33. Excuse me, Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. And we're going to look at the four verses in here. I want you to see, this is the new covenant secured by Christ. And here's how Jeremiah had always intended, you know, God speaking through him. This has always been God's plan. In Jeremiah 31. I want you to see this. And, and well, we'll get there. Okay. I'm going to get up. I want to get ahead of myself. Let's hear the text first. Okay. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Here's the new covenant, verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is freedom to live. Verse 34. And no longer shall each teach, each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. Like this struck me. I, I, when we were singing, I, God, I want to say this. When we were singing, uh, okay, easy for me to say now, simple gospel. I want to know you, Lord. We sang that. And I, I, I opened my Bible and said, hey, I think I read something about this this week. I think I did. I went back to Jeremiah 31. Yes, it's right here. That God has intended for us always to know him. In Christ, this has always been his plan. So, but, uh, all right, verse 34 again. Uh, Each one shall teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will, will remember their sin 
no more. Doesn't that sound like no condemnation? Doesn't that sound like you've been set free? This has been God's plan. And he's just working out through. And Paul brings us up in Romans. Now I want you to see this one more place in Ezekiel 36. And just a few chapters over in Jeremiah. Lamentations, then Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. Same new covenant, new covenant promises. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. Listen to what Ezekiel prophesies. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Verse 28, here's this blessing. Here's the life that comes from all of this. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So this is the kind of freedom that Paul has in mind that he clearly is showing the gospel provides for us. It's all in Christ. The spirit of life can set you free from your sin, triumphing over sin and death. So how is this freedom possible? We could put it another way. What makes this freedom from sin and death, freedom to live, freedom, what would make this good news for me and not just for somebody else? Well, that brings us to our second point, letter B. God sent Jesus Christ. You see, in verse 3, back in Romans 8, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So Jesus secures our new life. See, and we've been through this, because our sin problem is so serious and so deadly, God had to intervene, and lovingly, graciously, he chose to. The deficiency was not with God's law, but it was with you and me. It was with us. And when Paul says that the, it, the law was weakened by the flesh, that it could not do, that it literally is talking about an inability. It's like Tiger Woods trapped in his vehicle. He could not get out until somebody came and helped him. Louis Zamperini could not get out of the prison camp until somebody set him free. And Paul is saying... You and I cannot be set free from our sin unless Christ sets us free. And he does it through the Holy Spirit, given graciously to sinners. We must go from spiritual death to spiritual life. So God sent Jesus, born of a virgin, born under the law, in order to redeem us from the law. Hebrews 2.14 says this, since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, that's you and me, he himself, that's Jesus, partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And look at verse 15. Why did Jesus come? Why did he take on flesh? In order to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came to set us free. So God has done this. He has sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is, he was fully human. 
He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He was fully human. Why, why does this matter for us? Well, it matters because we're human. That if I have any chance of being set free, I, I need someone who can really deliver me. Jesus must be fully human. If Jesus is going to take my penalty, it, it has to be, it has to equal out, it has to transact. He has to be fully human. But in order for Jesus also to set us free, he has to be a sin offering. We, we see that we're, we're in verse 3 of Romans 8. He was sent not only in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was sent for sin. That is a sin offering. And if you've been reading through the Bible, playing with us, we just come through Leviticus. And sometimes people get a little caught up with Leviticus. But Leviticus is a beautiful book because it shows how does a holy God relate with sinful people. And one of the ways God prescribes a sin offering. When somebody transgresses God's law or sins against another person, an offering needs to be made. Blood needs to be shed. And God prescribes, well, if you're going to have this offering, it has to be an offering without blemish, blemish, without spot. It must be perfect. And so if Jesus will be our sin offering, not only must he be fully human, but he must be fully God because he was tempted in every way and yet without sin. In order for Jesus to pay my debt, he has to be fully God. There must be no sin in him so he can take mine. Jesus, the second Adam, succeeded where the first Adam failed. And I hope that you are seeing this in our text, that all, the whole Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, are all involved in our salvation. Our salvation is God-centered, not man-centered. So, Jesus takes our condemnation upon himself through his death. And we see as Jesus being a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. That is, he had to die. Jesus came to die. He knew that's what he was coming to do. Jesus said, I am being, he's sent by the Father, but he also laid his life down. He works with that in John's gospel. So I want you to see, just hear from Isaiah 53. You see, here's what the, the prophet describes of the suffering servant. Speaking about Jesus, who would fulfill this promise. Isaiah 53, 9. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He was without sin and yet he died. So let, let, I hope that this text will hit home for us that he condemns sin in the flesh. That the only reason you and I can have no condemnation this morning it's because Jesus was condemned. The only reason I can be set free is because Jesus died. The only reason my guilt can be forgiven is because Jesus paid the price on the cross. And the call and invitation of the gospel is look by faith to Christ this morning. That you can be set free from your sin. Condemnation released and set free because Jesus died on the cross. For us. His death, Jesus takes my sin and he died in my place. This is what is sometimes called the great exchange. Maybe you've heard people talk about that. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that talks about that in my theological circles and reading all the theology books. Oh, I like that. Let's write that down. This is called the great exchange. 
that Jesus takes my sin and my death and bears it himself. And Jesus in his perfect life and perfect righteousness given to me and exchanged happens. Jesus takes my sin and dies. I get Jesus' righteousness and get to live. And so when, when Paul says here that not only Jesus condemns sin in the flesh, that is, he paid the penalty for sin, Jesus also did one thing. That is, he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus' death is really sufficient? How do we know that we can really live, that our sin can really be forgiven? How do we know that his death was sufficient to pay my penalty? And the good news of the gospel is we can know, we can have full assurance because Jesus was raised from the dead. He was raised from the grave on the third day. And so we can have full confidence and full assurance that the gospel is sufficient. So this leads us all the way to our third question. We've seen what is our problem. We've seen what is God's solution, and this leads us now to question three. What is your response? What is your response to God's solution to your sin problem? You see, the gospel is good news for life. Life now and life forever. So really, this leaves us with just two choices. Two choices. You could... Reject the gospel. There are those, we've seen this in our text, you are either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You, you are either living according to the flesh or you are living according to the spirit. You've either been set free to live or you are under sin and death. So if you reject the gospel today, the penalty and payout for that is only death. And I don't want that for you. Instead, I pray that you would receive the gospel. To receive the gospel means I turn from my sin. I forsake it. I hate it. I change my thinking about it. And I look by faith to Christ, trusting that he is sufficient. His death was sufficient for my sin. His life is sufficient for my life. This is the invitation and call of the gospel. So I pray that this morning, as this message is working in our hearts, that our confidence would not be in anything that we could do. I pray that your confidence, that my confidence would be set in a much better place. And it is in Jesus, because he has already done it. The law says do, the gospel says done, it is finished. So this is the call and invitation of the gospel. I want you to think about how this truth would impact Paul's first hearers in Rome. Think about this, these stark differences between Jews and Gentiles, different thoughts about worship, the weak and the strong, meat sacrifice to idols. They had to work through some real challenges. But what does it mean to truly be one body, one church? This text would open their eyes to see I was condemned, and yet in Christ I'm not condemned. I can be set free. I can be forgiven. So who can I not forgive in my church? Look at all the goodness that God has shown to us by sending Jesus, by taking our sin penalty, by giving us life in him. That's grace. In one word, that's grace. 
So if Paul's hearers would take this and say, look how much, look how God has been so gracious to me. Who can I not show grace to in my church? And this can work out for us. Not too far down the road. Think about our small groups. If this is true, that there is no condemnation today for those who are in Christ, I can, that can give me the freedom to be honest. But I need help. I need God's grace in my life. I need to work through things. I want to be made more into the image of Christ. So would you help me? And we do that in small groups. That this can help us to open up and truly live, be becoming more into the image of Christ. And think about this too. Just as Paul had his aim of going to Spain, that there are right now, I checked, perhaps you have been familiar with some of these resources on unreached people groups. To be an unreached people group means that you have little to no exposure to Christianity. There's no church in your area. There's no Christian near you to live, or even worse, you've never even heard of Jesus. That today there are 7,000 plus people groups on the conservative estimate that are unreached. They've never heard of Jesus. They've never heard of this man, Jesus, fully man, fully God, in whom there's no condemnation. They don't even know about him. 7,000 plus people groups means roughly 3 billion plus people on the conservative end that have yet to hear this good news. Paul wanted to go to Spain. Who can we send to the nations? Who will go to replicate, to plant a church, to reach those who have not yet heard of Christ? This is news worth taking to the nations. This is news worth dying for. And this is, so when Paul brings this, this point to a close, that he, he appeals, he's making a point, you're either walking according to the flesh or you're walking according to the spirit. And this is where life is truly, truly meant to be lived. By faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can take all of this and think about how might I walk more in, in step with the spirit in light of this truth. Jesus came to save us from our sins. The spirit is given to set us free and to give us life forever, to empower us to live in a way that is for the glory of God, for our joy, and for the good of all peoples. So we could ask this question another way. Have you been set free? That all of the text, all of the gospel, really brings us to this reality. Is this me? Have I been set free from my guilt? My condemnation. Have I been liberated from sin and death within to live for God's glory, worshiping Him by faith in Jesus Christ? He is the only way. And I pray that this would be you this morning. That you would either say, Yes, this is me. I am totally forgiven and set free, and I love Jesus. Or perhaps maybe you would say, I need to be set free. Here is the gospel, and by faith, you would look to Christ and live. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And this is the invitation of the gospel. So earlier, I shared about Louis Zamperini. And I mentioned that he was set free from his prison camp in Japan. 
When he returned to America, he wasn't truly set free. You see, he had to deal with all of the stresses and trials of what he experienced, what we might call PTSD. And that led him, through his experience, to dive totally down the deep end of alcoholism and was hurtful to his wife. And they had some real challenges and struggles, and she was preparing to leave him until she went to a Billy Graham crusade. And God changed her life. And she surrendered, like this text would call us to do. She heard the gospel and put her faith in Jesus, and she came home and said, all right, Louie, I'm not going to leave you, but we've got to work some things out. And so she threw some conversations, and eventually Louie himself was brought to a Billy Graham crusade, and he didn't want to hear it. He sat there, and he, he says in his autobiography that I didn't want to be here. I didn't think I had to be here. I, I suffered. You don't know what I went through. This isn't for me. This is for somebody else. Until he heard the same things we're hearing this morning. The law condemns us, and we deserve only death and hell forever. And he walked out. But he couldn't get the message out of his head. So he went back the next day, the next day of the crusade, and he heard the other side of the gospel, which is, you don't have to die because Jesus died. You can live. So look to him in faith. And he did. His life was truly set free when he heard the gospel. And that set him on a course for the rest of his life. And here is the same message. You can be set free today from your sin forever. So listen to this quote. I want you to hear it from Louis' own words. And see if this sounds like being set free to you. He says, after asking Christ into his heart, he said, I waited. And then, true to his promise, it's God's promise, he came into my heart and my life. The moment was more than remarkable. It was the most realistic experience I'd ever had. I'm not sure what I expected. Perhaps my life or my sins or a great white light would flash before my eyes. Perhaps I'd feel a shock like being hit by a bolt of lightning. Instead, I felt no tremendous sensation, just a weightlessness and an enveloping calm that let me know that Christ had come into my heart. That's what it sounds like to be set free from sin, to live forever. So let's stand together now and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the freedom that you give us in Christ to live, truly live, now and forever. I pray that you would, through your spirit, work this truth into our hearts, that you would set sinners free from their sin today, that they would turn from their sin and trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you would take this message and continue to work it into my heart, into our hearts, that we would live truly strengthened, knowing what it, the riches of knowing God's love, and that you would lead us to live on mission, to make disciples who make disciples for the glory of your great name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.